We're going to start this program with a broader conversation that takes in many of the recent disturbing headlines on protests and racial tension, police shootings and brutality, law enforcement strategy, and the very positive overall national trend of declining crime rates. The incidence of serious crime has been cut in half since 1993. The social science behind the law enforcement strategy of leaving the focus on kingpins alone and making small crimes a priority has been called the broken windows theory. One unrepaired broken window is a signal that no one cares, and so breaking more windows costs nothing. That was written in an influential article in The Atlantic magazine back in the 1980s. The authors, the late social scientist James Q. Wilson of Harvard and social scientist George Kelling. Kelling has watched the controversy over broken windows grow, and the intent of broken windows, he says, distorted in cases of unarmed defendants dying in police custody. The racial tension in communities alienated from law enforcement and policies like stop and frisk that have been also questioned by the courts. Kelling defends his theory but says there is so much more to consider in the actual practice of law enforcement. The cops, he says, need to be a part of the community they are policing. Our our belief from the beginning was that order was an important part of any uh, civilized society that if you're going to have uh, strong education, strong faith institutions, uh, strong commerce, you have to have minimal levels of order. And, and, and we believed that order was an end in itself. But we also knew the research that order was linked to fear of crime and uh, uh, strongly linked disorder was strongly linked to fear of crime. We had known that since the 1960s, but criminologists hadn't paid much attention to it. What was the outreach of the article was that we speculated that it might have something to do with serious crime as well. That, of course, has become the most uh, controversial area of broken windows. Uh, But it started with this idea that any civilized society has to have minimal levels of order. Strangers have to feel comfortable doing business, whether that business is education or faith-based stuff. Strangers have to feel comfortable for a city to really thrive. Did you think back in those days uh, with James Wilson that there were upper limits on the extent to which you could take this broken windows policy to an extreme and it would produce negative consequences in law enforcement? Oh, I think we were fearful of that from the very beginning. The history of the use of loitering laws and vagrancy laws to arrest people uh, is a very sad history. Uh, it was used during the uh, in the post-Civil War period into the 20th century to keep many African Americans in virtual slavery so that we understood it had enormous potential for abuse. And if you reread the article, uh, we fuss and stew about the issues of justice and equity considerably during that article. Understand that at that point, the idea of broken windows was being developed, but broken windows policing Uh, was still something to be considered and something to be developed. And so we we were raising these issues out of concern that as Broken Windows ideas worked their way into policy, it had to be done with considerable concern for how discretion was used, that it was used appropriately. I think we suspected even then it was a powerful tool like many other powerful tools that had a large uh, or, or had a capacity for abuse and misuse as well. The decline in crime in the 90s and the early part of uh, this century certainly uh, made 
the community policing broken windows techniques seem as though they were a real magic bullet. Do you think that the success or perceived success of broken windows allowed a policy like stop and frisk to be almost unquestioningly adopted when at other times in American history it might have been viewed with a little more skepticism? I think that's entirely possible, and I think that many people equate stop, question, and frisk and broken windows, and they really are quite distinct. Stop, question, and frisk is based upon suspicion, and that is, uh, for example, you see a, a young person looking into car after car. Uh, that would raise suspicion of an officer, and an officer would stop, question, and maybe if fearful of a weapon might uh, do a search. That became a very common practice. I think the the problem that developed within uh, broken windows, and one can check back in my writings, I was fearful about this, and that is arrest became the goal of broken windows, and that to, and that is to arrest people who were committing minor offenses. From the very beginning of its implementation in really the first time I was involved in a systematic implementation in New York City subway, our goal was not to arrest people. We warned people, first of all, broadly, uh, on such and such a date, we're going to be cracking down on fare beating in the subway. Stop doing it now. The whole idea was to persuade people to behave in appropriate ways and no longer jump over the toll booths. Well, uh, those that persisted, of course, might ultimately wind up being arrested. But even then, we uh, sent out booking buses so that we would interfere with people's lives for as short a period of time as we possibly could. So the idea that broken windows is, at least as I perceive it and have uh, worked to implement it, the idea that it's focused on getting arrests is really a, a serious uh, misconception. What's your answer to the charge that um, b- Broken Windows was not based on data, that it was based more on an impression of two social scientists? Oh, I think we were clear at the beginning that it was a speculation. Uh, I don't think it's a speculation anymore. Right now, my own feeling is that the burden of proof is no longer on those who advocate broken windows. The burden of proof is on those who uh, suggest that it doesn't have any impact on crime. But I want to add something, and and, and that is it's easy also uh, to oversell the impact that broken windows had on uh, serious crime. Uh, New York City is the classic example. There were all kinds of targeted anti-crime efforts that had nothing to do with broken windows. Broken windows was a base. There was the perception that fear had to be reduced, order had to be maintained, and it could also contribute to reduction in crime. But there were all kinds of other tactics, hotspot policing, and as time went on, other uh, tactics that developed that had, had nothing to do with broken windows. So Uh, It's easy also to oversell broken windows, and I don't want to do that either. So let's talk about um, this idea of reducing the fear of crime, which was the original mission of uh, broken windows on on some level. As a social scientist, how do you trade off the reassurance that one sector of society feels by crime going down with the apparent increase of fear of law enforcement that goes up because – the people who are targeted in some of these policies feel as though law enforcement is is really focusing on them inappropriately. It's a sad commentary that it's come to this. 
because we've made so much progress. When I first start considering how neighborhoods ought to be policed, my, the first thing that I count is victimization, and that is who's suffering the most. And, and almost regardless of where you go in the United States, whether you're talking about New York or whether you're talking about uh, Seattle, one finds that it's the poor and the minorities who are most suffering from, from crime and disorder and demanding that something be done because the demand for order in minority communities is very, very strong. And people who ignore this, I think, do it to the detriment of minority and poor communities. We should have done a better job, however, in making sure we did this in ways that were congruent with community policing. And that is, for me, broken windows has always been uh, subsumed or is a tactic under community policing. And if you move away from community policing, I think you're moving away from the genius of Anglo-Saxon policing. And that is that police operate on behalf of citizens, they have to work with citizens, and they ought to determine the priorities working with citizens and the standards of neighborhoods within the law working with citizens. And if you forget that and start pushing beyond in the name of getting more arrests or driving crime down just that much farther, there is a point at which you can begin to question, is the cost of reducing crime in terms of developing antagonism so great that we're not going to push this hard. Minority communities have a history of two problems with the police. One is police brutality. That's a serious problem. It has to be dealt with. But the second is under-policing, and that is the kind of uh, attitude of the past, oh, that's how these people are, and there's no sense in trying to police that neighborhood. So we have to worry about both problems, the brutality problem and the under-policing problem. And my fear is, because of the questions that are being raised now about police uh, overuse of authority, we're going to under-police minority communities again, and that's at great, great cost. George Kelling is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, one of the co-authors of the so-called broken windows theory, uh, first published in an article in The Atlantic, he co-wrote with James Wilson, the late James Wilson. George, thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed talking with you. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.